Welcome to Good Girls Talk About Sex. I am sex and intimacy coach Leah Carey, and this is a place to share conversations with all sorts of women about their experience of sexuality. These are unfiltered conversations between adult women talking about sex. If anything about the previous sentence offends you, turn back now. And if you're looking for a trigger warning, you're not going to get it from me. I believe that you are stronger than the trauma you have experienced. I have faith in your ability to deal with things that upset you. Sound good? Let's start the show. Welcome back to Good Girls Talk About Sex. This week, we're going to talk with Jillian, a 49-year-old cisgender female who describes herself as white, heterosexual, monogamous, and married. As you know, I want to explore all different types of sexual experience and sexual expression. And in order to do that, sometimes we have to dive into hard stories In these episodes, we've heard stories of non-consensual sex, abusive relationship, physical difficulties with sex, and more. Jillian offers us a glimpse into a different story, one that I am intimately familiar with and have lived. It's the story of having huge blank spots in your memory, along with an aversion to sex. There's nothing specific in your memory to grab onto so you can say, this is what happened. But it's obvious that something happened. In these interviews, I usually sit back and let the guests tell their story. But in this instance, Jillian is actively searching for answers and for healing. So in this episode, you'll hear us doing a bit of exploration and coaching. I offer her a couple of exercises. If her story mirrors your own, you may want to try some of these exercises as well. Or send me an email and I'll be happy to offer you some other resources. Jillian says in this interview that she wanted to share her story so that anyone else out there going through something similar will know that they're not alone. And I echo that. If you listen to this podcast because you have difficulty with sex and are looking for a way forward, you are not alone. You are welcome here. And I will be happy to talk with you when you're ready. And so I am so pleased to introduce Jillian. Thank you so much for talking with me today. I'm really looking forward to hearing your story. So thank you for being here. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, Leah. Absolutely. So the first question that I ask everyone is, what is your first memory of sexual pleasure? Um, I'm actually having a hard time because I struggle. I don't really experience well, actually, okay, sorry, Leah. That's fine. <laughs> that <threw me> off. <laughs> My first memory is in college, and it was um, actually having an orgasm with my boyfriend at the time, who's now my current husband. Oh, okay. Uh, so you started that out by saying you don't really, and I think you were about to say feel pleasure. Is that where you were headed with that? Yes. So overall, I was thinking, well, I can't answer that question because I don't enjoy the experience, but that did feel good. Okay. I'd never had an orgasm before. I did that day for some reason. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, that did feel good. But in general, I didn't really think I would be able to come up with an answer because I don't enjoy the experience. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, so let's go back a little further. We'll we'll get to your husband in college again, but um, let's back up to earlier years. Did you have any period of like self exploration, or a lot of kids sort of explore their bodies? Did you do that as a child? No, I never did. And I remember as a little girl. Um, at first, when you asked me that question, I was thinking, oh, the first sexual experience that I remember was in kindergarten, you know, neighborhood boy kind of feeling around that kind of thing. I didn't experience pleasure necessarily, but you know, I wasn't completely fearful or anything like that at that point. Was that a, like, you show me yours, I'll show you mine kind of thing? Was it uh, separate from pleasure? Was that fun? Like, did you enjoy that experience? I think there was a a little something about it that was maybe exciting, I guess. I don't know if my five or six-year-old brain would think that way, but yes, I mean, there, there was something a little bit exciting about it. Okay. And so then it sounds like something, you said there was no fear yet. And so it sounds like there was something that instilled fear for you. Would you be willing to talk about what that was? Well, I, um, so since then, I am pretty sure, I don't really know exactly what happened, but after years and years of therapy, something must have happened probably between that age of five and eight is what we've narrowed it down to. And I don't know what that is, but I developed a great fear and aversion Uh to any sort of sexual contact or even the thought of like it could happen. Do you have blank spots in your memory? Yes. Yeah. So do I. that time period. Yeah. You do. Oh, a lot of blank spots. I remember in college, because I had been sort of in and out of therapy as a teenager. And at that point, I didn't recognize them as blank spots. I just thought that nobody really remembered being young. Like that was just sort of the way that memory worked was that like memory starts around 13 or something. Um, And then I got to college and was sort of like realizing, oh, my friends do have more memories than I do. And also, I think there's something wrong. Like there's, I have some after effects of things that I shouldn't have. And I remember reading a, what is it? Um, The Courage to Heal. Do you remember mm-hmm. that book? I have that book. Yes. Yeah. And there, it, I think it was a workbook or it was something that went along with it. And there was a just this little panel in it that said something about if a burglar comes into your house and throws everything all over the floor, you don't wait to find out who did the burglary before you start cleaning up. Mm. And that was like, I read that and I kind of lost my mind for a couple of days. Like I started crying and couldn't stop. I was like, Oh, I'm not alone. Things do happen that we can't remember. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit more about your experience of that? Well, that was interesting that you say that because I always thought same thing that, oh, no, but there's just some people that remember their childhood and some don't. And I mean, I have major gaps. Yeah. And um, I also sort of learned along the way that, you know, some people don't remember everything, obviously, but they don't lose as big a chunks as I have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and I think, too, I started going to therapy regarding this shortly after I got married because it was discovered. And I don't know if you want to jump ahead, but no, it's it was, it was my husband realized it. I sort of was discovered that I didn't enjoy this experience because I'd been faking everything up until this point that I had yeah. a major breakdown, just started crying and screaming and wanted to beat him up, you know, everything. And, um, he was just like, Whoa, and and so he asked me I, to go to therapy and to start. And so that was when we first got married that I started therapy. And I went to therapy for years and years and years. And the ther- the few different therapists that I went to have always said, like, you know, oftentimes there are things that happen. And then as a protective measure, sometimes we just don't let it out. Um, and it'll come when it's ready or maybe it won't, you know, that sort of thing. And I'm not hung up on the, the exact details, but I sure would love to move on in yeah. a bigger way. Have you had any any sort of memories surface or have you had any clues about what it might have been? I um, went under hypnosis one time and the hypnotist, you know, suggested that I 
write down my dreams over the next week. And there were several uh, dreams that happened that were, I got up and I would write them down, you know, and there were several dreams that perhaps showed that there was child pornography involved. Um, but again, that could have been symbolic or, or something, but it was very clear. And there were things where my dream in all of my dreams, my mom was trying to hide my eyes from something like I was missing my contacts or glasses and she wouldn't give them to me. It's in, huh. and that sort of, um, proved true. Also, every time I would try to ask her questions about periods of my childhood, she would shut down. Oh, really? So do you mm-hmm. think she knew something? Yes, I think she uh-huh. did because it was like one time she walked out of a restaurant on me and she said, you just need to put that behind you and walked oh, out wow. of a restaurant. When I'm asking her, you know, I'm crying. I'm like, I can't have sex with my husband. I'm a newly married woman. I have, cannot have sex with my husband without wanting to punch him in the face and feeling like my skin is crawling or I'm going to throw up. And you would think that a mom would, and we were pretty close and, you know, I mean, we were close. And so you would think that she would have a loving response to that or care about it. But she just, her hands started shaking and she stood up and told me just to, you know, put that behind me and walked out. I am so sorry. It's like the people who you need most in life to see you and to hold you and when they can't do that, it is really devastating. Yes. Yeah. And I felt like she was a key to unlock just so that I could move on in a, in a powerful way. So I was also very upset with her that when I sort of through different therapy, feeling like your mom may have known something, she may have even put you in a situation that was not right for a little girl or whatever happened. But the fact that, and maybe she was so shame filled, you know, and I'm kind of making some of this up, but this is also deduced on different things. But, um, it really upset me because I feel like she potentially had a key to unlock that and to help me heal. And I even at one point told her, even if something really bad happened and you know about it, I will forgive you. It's okay. I could not get it out of her. Yeah. So is she now passed away? Yes. So so that information is is gone. Oh, I'm so sorry. I want to invite you to imagine for a moment what your ideal sex life looks like and feels like. Who are you with? What type of sex do you have together? How do you feel while touching them? And how does your body feel when they touch you? Or maybe you'd like to be having less sex than you're currently having. If you don't know, Or if that vision of your ideal doesn't look at all like what's currently going on in your bedroom, I can help. With personalized sex and intimacy coaching, we'll explore where you are, how you got here, where you want to be, and the steps to help you get there. There are no right or wrong answers, just the answers that work for you. I understand that exploring your sexuality and all that goes with it, your body image, your belief in your lovability, and more can be terrifying. Believe me, I sat in the middle of that fire for decades. I know how painful it is. But I also stepped out the other side, stronger, more confident, and more certain of my lovability and desirability. And I want the same for you. I work with couples and one-on-one, whether you've never explored your sexual desires before, or you want to explore things you've never done before, like maybe BDSM or non-monogamy, or if you and your partner need some help figuring out how to communicate together so you can have better sex. I'm queer, kinky, and poly-friendly, and I want you to have a deeply fulfilling, intimate life. Together, we can help you get there. For more information and to schedule your free discovery call, visit leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. A new client recently said that before her discovery call, she was extremely nervous, but that I made the experience feel easy and comfortable. So book your free discovery call today at leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. How did 
dating your now husband begin? So it began with very attracted to him, like drawn to him, his personality, and he was cute and everything. But I still had that fear of I don't want to be alone with him because then it could move right into this sexual thing. And so I had that fear from the beginning. And the weird thing, too, is and I, I wonder if this is the same with you. So we started dating, really liked him a lot. And but because I still had that fear. And so I pushed sex too fast. He will even say, you moved way too fast, you know, and later when he found out that I had fears around aversion, he's like, I wasn't trying to have sex with you that day when you moved too fast and he wasn't being blamey, but he was just like, yeah, Jill. And I'm like, I know, because I think I just thought, okay, I'm just going to take some control here. We know this is going to happen anyway. And sort of, I, in a way I forced myself on him and he says that day, he's like, I would have been good to go for another few months, like dating you and not having uh-huh. sex. And I had to just make it happen quickly. And it was, it was like, I was just rushing it. Like, let's just get this over with. This is going to happen anyway. Did not enjoy it. Yeah. Still liked, liked him a lot, but I just guess I felt like this is just something you have to do. That actually doesn't surprise me at all. Um, there's something about those of us who were sexualized far too young that really sort of skews our relationship with sexuality and where it fits in appropriately within the context of a relationship that um, many of us really no longer have a grasp on when we're ready and and why we want it. And so we either you know, do it right away just to get it over with, or we wait to not too long, but we wait a really long time because we're afraid of it. Like there are all sorts of mind games we can play with ourselves because we got sexualized and, you know, we don't know what your experience was, but it feels pretty safe to say there was something that was not kosher that probably you didn't want. And so like trying to reset your system can be really challenging. And when you you don't even know what you're resetting from, like all of that, none of that surprises me at all. Yeah. Yeah. So you said the first time that you had sex, you didn't enjoy it. What was that experience like for you? Did he seem to enjoy it? With first time with my husband? Uh, sorry, yes, with your husband. Yes, and he did. But I'm not super present during sexual and yeah. like sex. So I think I don't. I do remember he um, ejaculated and seemed to enjoy it. So, um, but I just know that I'm just trying to get through it. And you're, you know, you're trying to play the. Oh, I want him to think I'm enjoying this. And so it's just, I'm not really paying a whole lot of attention. So I don't really remember a whole lot about it. I mean, I remember I can see the scene. It was actually at at this really pretty location where we spent some time and, and, um, it could have been lovely, but, um, it, (laughs) it wasn't so great. And then even afterwards, I have to tell you that over the, you know, time before we got married and then even after, before I had that big eruption where he then found out like, you need to get some help here. It takes a lot of energy to not only fake through it, especially when it's emotionally, you know, I think there's people that fake it probably that enjoy sex, but they're just like, Oh man, I've got laundry I need to do. And they just kind of want to hurry along. Yeah. But when you're trying to like emotionally just get through it and then afterwards to kind of hold up the game, because instead of feeling like potentially you might want to cry or whatever might happen, or feel dirty, want to get up and just clean myself, whatever, that takes a lot of emotional energy also. Yeah. And so it was tiring. It was very tiring. Yeah. It sounds like you were doing a lot of performing pleasure and then caring for him when really what you needed to do was be held for your own sake. Right. But he didn't know that I needed to be held in but that he way. Didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like nobody in this situation is in the wrong. You are doing what you know how to do to survive. And he is reading the signals that you're giving to him. So you're both doing the thing that you feel like needs to be done. You just, neither of you has all of the information. Right. Well, and also he would 
after not too long, he would ask me, he said, are you sure that you, that you're okay? Like afterwards and stuff, or even maybe during. And I would say, yes, of course. I mean, such a great actress. And, <laughs> but he really, there were times where he said, are you sure there's just something that doesn't feel right? And he goes, are you positive? And I obviously, and he's a real intuitive, you know, a sensitive guy. And so he, I realized, and then when he found out, I think in some ways he was relieved but he also felt mm-hmm. awful because he told me, he goes, in a way, I feel like I was raping you every time now, uh-huh. like looking back. Yeah, he yeah. said, because you didn't want it once it came out in therapy and all this. And I'm just like, no, 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 no. You should never feel that way. But he did. He said, well, I should have known better. I should have stopped and made you tell me, but he couldn't. You know how that is. If we're not going to give up our, if we're not going to be honest with someone, we, we're not going to be honest about it when we're not ready to. It sounds like you, if he had pushed you, you might not even have been capable of saying the words at that point because you were still in self-protective survival mode. Right. Yeah. So, like, I understand why he would feel that way, like he had done something wrong because he didn't know. But in in a lot of ways, like, he was doing the best he could with the knowledge that he had, the information that he had. Yes. Yeah. So where do you go during sex? Like what goes on in your brain during sex? Usually I'll either, there are a few different things. Sometimes I've been able to fantasize, like come up with a fantasy and it's usually not the nicest fantasy. Like I'm not being treated well in the fantasy, which I always thought was very weird, but I've since been told um, by a therapist that that is normal. It's okay. You know, that was very shameful that why would I have these weird fantasies that could help potentially even from time to time to have an orgasm. And then um, other times I would just could not wait till it's over. Yeah. Just, I, I think that like the voice inside my head too would just be like, Ugh, just disgusted, sick. I, don't, I can't even think of the exact words right now, but kind of just like hurry up. But yet I'm thinking, just make sure that you're pleasing him at least because he deserves it. And I've always felt like I'm trying to, I think I'm better now, but I've always felt like I messed up. I am messed up because of this. I'm like damaged goods. So I've got to be the one to at least salvage enough to help this guy, you know, yeah. experience, have a good experience um, because I can't fix my own problems. So I kind of try to do that for him. Yeah. <laughs> I recognize that thinking so clearly. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it lovely? <laughs> oh, it's charming. <laughs> um, I want to just go back for a second to what you said about fantasies about um, not being treated well, that is incredibly common. And it for some people, I don't in any way want to pathologize BDSM, because there are a lot of people who participate in it, simply because they enjoy it. There is also a certain segment of people who play in that realm, who are doing it as a therapeutic endeavor, who really are able to work out a lot of their issues, because In BDSM play, if we're playing the sub, the person who is being acted upon, we are the one who's in control. It's completely counterintuitive. The sub is the one who's in control because they always have the power to say stop. There's always the safe word. If you're if you are working with a good dom, uh, there are some shitty doms out there and dear God, please stay away from them. Um, but <laughs> um, in this kind of play, you can act out some of the scenes that might have happened to you in the past from a place where you have the power to say no, you have the power to say stop, and you actually are um, kind of in the driver's seat of having the experience and knowing that at any moment you can call a stop to it. Mm, that makes sense. Wow. Yeah. And so I think this is really important for people to hear who have been through trauma and now have these fantasies of whether it's um, ravishment play, which is sort of the new term. It used to be called rape play, but that's, that's 
ah, <laughs> that's squeaky for a lot of us. Yes. Um, so ravishment fantasies or any kind of BDSM fantasies, um, anything where we are giving over control to another person. It could even be fantasies where you're being degraded, called names, um, even being, you know, slapped around. Uh, all of that stuff is completely normal. Wow. I mean, I've heard that, but did, so why is it normal? I think that it has to do with our brain wanting to sort of reenact something in a way where we can retell the story where like this thing happened to me and I had no control. I had no ability to advocate for myself. And now I'm going to redo it in a situation where I can negotiate it in advance. I can set the rules. I can choose what's going to happen to me. Mm -hmm. And I can call a stop to it at any moment. And if you're talking about, like, if it never happens in real life, if it's just in your brain, you can completely control the scenario because there's not even another person involved. It's just characters that you're moving around on your own personal movie screen. Right. And that does make, it makes sense with the control. Cause I've had, um, an issue, like even once I had a child and I would think I was trying to control things a little too much. And my mom was an alcoholic. Uh, so my yeah. whole life, I, as a kid too, was like, I was the adult. I was trying to keep her together, taking care of her a lot of the time as a very young child and into my, you know, until she died. But, um, so Often, I think because I had a very unstable childhood in in that way that as as an adult or even as a teenager and stuff, I would try to control things in a way that just seemed a little bit weird for a teenager to want to control or organize things and keep things in my safe little zone. And so that does make sense with the control. I get so many messages from listeners saying, thank you for the show. I've listened to the whole back catalog and it's helped me completely transform my sex life. Are you one of those people? If so, I'd love to have your support so I can keep growing this show and bringing a new vision of sexuality to the world. If you haven't done it yet, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast. I know the podcast industry does not make reviewing a show easy. So go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash good girls, and it should lead you through the process of posting a review. I'd love to get 100 reviews by the end of the year, and I could use your help. And if you have the financial resources to support the sex positive work I do, I'd be so grateful for your support at Patreon. Donating the equivalent of a fancy cup of coffee each month might not make a big difference to you, but it makes a huge difference to me. There's no contract or obligation. You can cancel at any time. And... I donate 10% of all proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are now either illegal or heavily legislated. It's easy to become a patron at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. And speaking of Patreon... There is a treasure trove of additional audio at Patreon that's free for everyone to listen to. You don't even need to have a Patreon account to access it. Just go to patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex to start listening. I appreciate every one of you, whether you're a client, a contributor, a social media follower, or a silent listener. I trust you to know what's right for you. Thank you for being here. Now, let's get back to the show. When you had your child, how did that affect your relationship with your body and with your sexuality? Well, it was interesting because when I was pregnant and as it got closer, I knew that I wanted to try to breastfeed and I was very scared. I thought that if I breastfed, I thought that I would want to smack, like just 
I thought I would be disgusted and not be able to even experience that. And then I thought, well, this is weird because it's not a sexual thing. You're feeding your child. And I was so pleasantly surprised that there was none of that. And I was able to breastfeed just fine for however long I wanted to. And um, so that was not an issue at all. So that was a good experience. Yeah, so I I don't feel like having the child anything to do with my body or anything. I just think it was a lovely miracle. And I had a great pregnancy. So I was lucky there. Good. So what is your sexual relationship like with your husband today? It is very limited. I think that he thinks I'm further along than I am as far as in my healing. Mm. And I have gotten better over, I would say, like the last maybe five years. I stopped going to therapy. Now I've just, I've... I'm a Christian. My faith tradition is Christianity now. And um, I just talk to God about it all the time. And I yeah. pray about it. And I that that is what has seemed to help me the most over all the years of 30, is it 30 years? 25 years of, 25 years of therapy off and on, you know. And so it's gotten a little bit better, but still not great. And it could, I could go the rest of my life and never have sex again. And that would be great. Do you have a sense of turn on sometimes or a sense of like, I, I want to be touched? Maybe if like I see a scene in a movie or read something in a book that way I can feel excited like that, but not. So it has to be removed from you. Like it's, you're seeing someone else playing out a scene. Yes. Yeah. And so, and then the frequency, it could be once a month at the most probably. Uh-huh. And in general, it will be me thinking, okay, I got to do this. Come on now. It's been a yeah. while. And try to just come at it with a good attitude. And um, def- it's not the the revulsion, the thro- wanting to throw up and stuff. It's not like it used to be. It was like, it was so bad for so many years like that. So somehow that's gotten a little bit better. But in general, there's it, there's no pleasure. And how does your husband respond to that? Because surely he must know that it's still not pleasurable for you. Um, I think that I, I hate to say this, but I think I'm just a little bit better. Number one, my body is not responding like it used to. I mean, I bet before I was probably went stiff as a board. I mean, who knows? I don't, uh-huh. but I remember like he could physically tell and, and emotion. I mean, I think I would flinch a lot, like, you know, scared. And so I go into it and I talk to myself beforehand. You can do this. You got this. This is good. This is maybe going to help you get better. I, ha- I try to have a really positive attitude about it. So he may know, but I still fake. Yeah. Because I don't want to him to continue to feel, um, I just, I don't know, I guess I want him to have that sense of hope also. And he's got to know, he's got to know you're right, but we don't talk about it. And it's, I don't really want to, and I, I don't want to bring it up because then it just puts the spotlight that's already been, the spotlight's been on this for so long that I'm tired of the spotlight being on it. Yeah. Do you have a sense, like, what is your ideal situation? It Would your ideal situation be we have a great marriage and we just never have sex or would your ideal situation be I am able to do some kind of miraculous healing and we have a great sex life? Yes. I would love to have a great sex life. You would. I would love to have fun with it and not be embarrassed about anything. I don't know that I'd want to get too creative, but I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying like, I would love to have a fun, sexy relationship with him. Uh-huh. Do the two of you have intimate touch that isn't sexual? Like, do you cuddle? Do you? Yes. That kind of thing? Definitely love to cuddle. Yeah. So you you enjoy touch. It's just the sexual aspect of it you don't like. Yes. Uh-huh. A good head rub? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if you could maybe switch, like adjust your thinking a little bit to that is your sex life 
and to really fully like embrace and dive into that touch is your connection point and that is your sex life and maybe for a little while take the pressure off the actual like penis and vagina penetration mm-hmm. so just like mindset is it one of those things you know how some of the self-help people will say just write down I have a ha- healthy, happy sexual relationship as if it's already there. Is that, would you recommend that? Or I'm willing to try anything, you know? So. <laughs> so I am not a huge fan of the sort of um, affirmations that make you, um, that take you so far out of what feels real that you're like, I'm, I'm never going to get there. I, this is a failure. I am automatically a failure. Yes. Yeah. And I, I want to stop that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a fan of that. Okay. I'm thinking more in terms of really investing in the kind of touch that is pleasurable for you and taking the pressure off of the touch that is really difficult. So, okay. So here's one way that maybe it could play out. Um, do you have are you okay with the sight of your husband's penis? It used to be a heart worse to look at um, yeah. or see because it was so scary. But I think I'm okay with it. It's not like I'm drawn to it. Yeah, sure. Okay. So uh, what I'm thinking, and this would have to be a conversation with him, so that this would take some real bravery. Okay. But to say to him, I want to try something. I want to, for a couple of months, just really focus on our intimate connection, our cuddling, you know, touching each other as we're walking around the house, you know, the head rub, the foot rub, maybe even taking a bath together, that kind of stuff that allows you to intimately connect skin to skin. But I want to take genitals off the table. But I don't, I still want you to get what you need. Like, I don't want to leave you high and dry during this time. So whenever you feel like you need sexual connection, how about we lay together, I will lay in your arms, and you can masturbate, you can take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. So he still has that intimate touch, and he's getting the release. But it's not on you to give it to him. Right. Does that sound doable? Yeah. And we've, we had to do that for some therapy, some of the sexual therapists. Oh, okay. I've done that in the past. Now I'm in a different place today though, just years have passed, you know, and I remember always just feeling guilty or like, okay, I'm just going to, I'm not going to do this anymore. We're just going to hurry up and have sex. So I was always, I was just always feeling bad for him. And, and I think I'm, I just, the caretaker and, you know, the gift in me, um, I think I don't, and now at this point now, I almost feel scared to bring it up that I want to try to work on something because here I've been trying to kind of act like it's so much better now. Yeah. But you're so busy taking care of him that you're kind of abandoning the little girl inside of you who's still crying out to be held. Yes. So with that being said, I feel like I could do it. I I mean, I can do this. I just don't want to set him back. Yeah. Or for him to feel like, okay, have you been lying to me all this time again? Um, Well, I think that you can potentially forestall that by saying up front, I've been doing the best that I can. I'm still having a hard time. And so I want you to know I haven't been lying to you, but I've also not been completely honest with myself. Right. About what I need. And so can we, can we try something a little bit different? Yeah. I can, I can definitely, I will definitely think about this. I want to do something to move forward because it's not working the way with with what I'm doing currently. Yeah. And so um, I had thought I'm also in the process of just trying to explore my own body for the first time because I've never been one that is comfortable with that. Awesome. I'm trying to just recently um, do that because I'm thinking, oh, okay, so you can you can have some pleasure, and then trying to figure out how am I going to introduce that to him potentially? You know, so I'm. 
I don't know which step to do first. <laughs> that was actually going to be one of my questions is if you masturbate. Yeah, but only um, like only with a, um, I don't even know if you call it a vibrator, but like, well, I guess it's a vibrator. It doesn't go inside the body. Sure. An external vibrator. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not really familiar with all the things and that it's actually a friend was like, I'm going to give you one of these because we're, we have similar backgrounds and stuff. And uh-huh. so she was like, you got to try this. I'm like, I don't think it'll work. Well, it is very nice. <laughs> <laughs> so are you able to have an orgasm? With yes. It? Awesome. Awesome. And is it a pleasurable orgasm or does it leave you feeling guilty? No, it doesn't leave me feeling guilty. Awesome. I love that. Is that good news? That's great news. <laughs> good. That's one hill I won't have to climb. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so when I work with people, uh, specifically with women, there are various ways of going at this. One of them is to very much focus on yourself and to, you know, still engage with your husband as much as you need to in order to feel like you're not falling down Mm -hmm. in that because that just brings up more guilt. But to really focus on yourself and your experience, because then you can maybe begin to discover the things that do work for you. And over time, introduce those to him. Well, and I think that's what I want to do, because I wouldn't I would not have been able before that was introduced. And I don't know. And I'm to the point, Leah, where I'm like, do people just bring that thing into bed with them? Like, I don't even know how that stuff works. So I am so naive and unaware of all that kind of stuff. And then I don't want to just be surfing the internet. Like, you know, so I don't really, I didn't really know what to do or how to introduce, but I figured at least you can rack up some things that you could say, oh, this feels good. Before I couldn't have told you, I'd be like, nothing feels good down there. Uh Uh-huh. All of yeah, it. so so does he even know that you're doing this? No. Okay, so he doesn't know you're masturbating. He doesn't know you have a toy. No. None of it. Okay, so here's a process that I think can be a good one when you're ready to let him into this. And I would say do not put an ounce of pressure on yourself to be ready to bring him into this. Take as long as you need for this to just be you and your vibrator and having some fun because you have been sorely lacking on the fun front. (laughs) (laughs) So just let yourself sink into that for as long as you need. At whatever point, you might think, I want to begin to engage with him on this front. Here's a process that I've used with a couple of people that has that has been successful for them. You take it in stages. You you say to him, "I'm doing this thing, <laughs> and I'm I want to bring you into it, but I'm not ready to completely share it with you yet. So I want to go through these steps. The first is like you do this while he's in the house." but he's in a different part of the house. So he knows that you're masturbating, but he's not hearing you. He's not seeing you. He's not any part of it. He just knows that it's going on. And you do that for as long as it takes you to get comfortable with the idea that he even knows. Okay. Then the next step is you let him come close enough so that he can hear you but he's still outside the closed door. So he cannot see anything, but he can hear you. And you do that for as long as it takes you to get comfortable with the idea that he can hear you. Then the next step is that you open the door. (laughs) (laughs) And, And maybe you still make him stay outside. You know, maybe he's still outside the open door, but at least now, like, you are aware that he is sort of in the same space. So, and is this process to help me with the comfort level? It's nothing yes. about him, right? It's because to him. me, that is very embarrassing for me to think of those steps. I'd almost rather, if it, if it wouldn't shock him too much, I'd almost rather just say, I'm doing this thing. I'm a little bit embarrassed by it, but I think it would be great for us and just introduce. So that is, is that too t- fast? It's entirely up to you and your system because your system experienced a trauma where you were sexualized too young 
And whatever those things were that we don't know were forced upon you, there can be a tendency for you to just be like, let's go, you know, break the wall down, because that's the only thing your system knows, is I'm things are going to happen too fast. So I might as well just say, okay, they're going to happen too fast and get on with it. Right. So that can be the value of having a step by step, very small step process. However, if you really think that that sort of like, let's get over the embarrassing hard part and just jump in. If that feels really, really true to your system, and like, it's not going to kick you into dissociating, then fine. If that's what works for you, I'm all for it. I think that is the embarrassment would be too much for me. Okay. (laughs) So I really I, I know that sounds weird. But I just feel like I could just and it will be embarrassing enough, but at least get the embarrassment over and jump to the pleasure if that could happen. Okay. So in that case, I would still have you not the first couple times you do it, have him not touching you. So that you're still getting to be inside your own body and inside your own experience, getting used to the fact that he's in the room. And then maybe he can hold you while you do it. Okay. Um, it, I would work up to actually handing the toy to him or okay. having him be involved in any way. Okay. I think <laughs> I've got some marching orders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it feels good just talking to you, Leah, because you're, you're so good, number one, just about making me not feel ashamed or embarrassed about this. And I think, too, just all the years I've gotten better about it, and I'm so desperate to want something good to happen that I'm just like, you can't not talk about this anymore. Like you've got to move on and do something. So I really appreciate though, how um, kind you are about it. And I do feel very comfortable talking to you and that you gave me an assignment that feels very doable, very embarrassing, but very doable. (laughs) Got to pull the bandaid off. And, um, but I like too the way that you say, just go slow. Yeah into the releasing of the control of the thing or whatever, you know? Yeah, really, really check in with your body, check in with your, you know, however you call it, your spirit, or however you think about that, really check in with yourself to make sure that you're not pushing yourself too fast, because that will activate the trauma and cause you to dissociate and just, you know, put you back into the same pattern you've been in. Okay. I I really believe that this process for you, no matter what steps you take, no matter how fast you go, is about learning to listen internally and figure out what is it that I want so that I'm not performing for somebody else, Mm. so that I'm not doing for somebody else and totally ignoring what I need. Yes. Because that is what was done to you. Yes. Whatever that might have been. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you have any other questions that you want to ask before we close up? I don't. I think that I just think this was kind of a fun conversation, although it's some awkward stuff or, you know, in some semi-painful stuff um, to think about. But the beauty of of it is as you move, I feel like I'm moving on. You know, I'm making some sort of forward progress. And I feel like just talking to you today has helped me with this next step that I'm going to attempt. So this is a big deal. Yay. Thank you. I think it's really important to know that small steps are important. You don't have to go from zero to 60. Going from zero to one is a really big deal. And also, I know that when we got on, you said you were really nervous about having this conversation. And I just want you to know, you were marvelous. You did such a good job. How did it feel to you to have this conversation? It feels good, especially if I'm thinking if there's someone out there that is going that would listen and feel like, Oh gosh, I feel that. Oh, me too. I felt that same way and not feel so alone. That was my main goal of even wanting to be on the podcast with you is that if it could help someone else, of course you are a great resource, but if it could help someone else, make someone else not feel ashamed themselves to try masturbation. I am in my late (laughs) forties and I am just now in the last six months, you know? And, and so I think I sort of had resigned, I would say even a a year ago, I'm just never going to enjoy it. It's just the way it is. At some point, I just before, so I I want someone, if they're embarrassed, whatever, ask a friend to buy it for you, whatever you have to do. But just to, because you just never know. I had, I did, I thought for sure there's no way I would find pleasure with that. And, And getting to know your body, especially if you've had traumatic experiences, 
feels good. Like, yes, my body was created to have some pleasure. And so this feels right. Awesome. I'm so pleased for you. Thank you. Yeah. Jillian, this has been just marvelous. Thank you so much. Thank you, Leah. That's it for today. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or if you're using another podcast app, go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash goodgirls. And remember, there's a treasure trove of audio extras available for free at Patreon. Go to patreon.com forward slash goodgirlstalkaboutsex. While listening to those extras is free, producing this show is not. If my work is meaningful to you, and you have a few dollars to support it each month, I will gratefully accept your patronage at Patreon. I donate 10% of all Patreon proceeds to ARC Southeast, an organization that supports women in the Southeast United States to access reproductive services that are increasingly difficult to obtain. Find out more and become a community member at patreon.com forward slash good girls talk about sex. Show notes and transcripts for this episode are at goodgirlstalk.com. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Good Girls Talk for more sex positive content. If you have a question or comment about anything you've heard on the show, call and leave a message at 720-GOOD-SEX. Good Girls Talk About Sex is produced by me, Leah Carey, and edited by Gretchen Kilby. I have additional administrative support from Lara O'Connor and Maria Franco. Transcripts are produced by Jan Asiello. Before we go, I want to remind you that the things you may have heard about your sexuality aren't true. You are worthy. You are desirable. You are not broken. As your sex and intimacy coach, I will guide you in embracing the sexuality that is innately yours, no matter what it looks like. To set up your free discovery call, go to leahcarry.com forward slash coaching. Until next time, here's to your better sex life. <laughs>